Hey everyone, this is Karen Stefano, the author of the story collection, The Secret Games of Words, and I'm happy to say that today we have two wonderful guests with us. Uh, These fabulous women are writers, they are teachers, they are goddesses in the world of flash fiction. With me today, Nancy Stolman and Kathy Fish. How are you, ladies? Good. Good. Hi. How are you? Oh, good. Um, I swear, sometimes I think that I do these podcasts just so I have an excuse to talk to some of my friends. (laughs) Um, There's no way that we would just be chatting on a Monday afternoon, but I'm (laughs) so glad that, uh, that you guys made Uh, time to talk to me today. And uh, for everyone who's listening, we're going to do something a little bit different in today's podcast. As you know, usually I interview an author, sometimes two authors, about uh, their their new book, their forthcoming book. And today we're going to do something a little bit different. And since uh, Nancy and Kathy Uh, put on flash fiction workshops, and they both teach. They are going to give us a little mini workshop, um, and and it's going to be strictly centered around flash fiction. And so, uh, Kathy, I'll start with you. And I would be willing to bet that everyone uh, seeing your names and beautiful faces on the link for this podcast, that everyone who's listening is familiar with flash fiction, but just by chance uh, that someone's listening who isn't familiar with this genre, please tell them what it is. If you're at a cocktail party and you say, hey, I write flash fiction, and they say, oh, what's that? What do you say? Well, the first thing that I always say is that it's uh, flash fiction is a form of literature, of story that is usually defined by Fewer, being fewer than a thousand words. Um, so it's shorter than most short stories that you read. Um, but I also, I usually go a little further with that and I say that I believe that flash is its own form. Um, in other words, I don't think that that is all that defines flash is it's uh, being short and being a shorter version of a short story. I think there's more to it. And um, my sense from reading Flash, especially the last few years, is that it's, um, it's a form that's very, very open to experimentation and innovation. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's uh, completely unique in and of itself. I always say that it's like poetry in some ways. And I think that comes from the concision uh, and the distillation of story and uh, then I also say that it has to be very resonant and meaningful uh, and have the sense of a story if not a complete story with beginning middle and end it still has to have the sense that a story is being told and how you go about that is up to the writer well put well put and Nancy, I want to put you on the spot here, and uh, since you're a master of flash, I want you to give me five words, and five words only, that capture the essence of what it means to write great flash fiction. Say that ten times fast. Okay. Okay. Five words only. The first one um, is focus, because I think there are some stories 
that lend themselves better to flash fiction than others. And the ones that do are the ones that have a really precise razor focus. Um, we don't have time to mill about. We don't have time to give you a lot of backstory. We don't have a lot of extra time. So you really have to focus in on what is essential and what is really um, important about this story. What makes the story worth telling? And you have to get to it right away. Um, and so I think all my words would kind of follow that. I, I think you have to be ruthless. Um, Again, uh, you know, we talk about being ruthless in our writing and editing, but in flash fiction, particularly so, um, you just don't get the luxury of hanging out in the story. And so being ruthless, being ruthless with how you tell it, being ruthless with your word choices, and remembering that you have to serve this tiny little form, this tiny little story. So it's, it, you really have to lose a lot of your ego here. Um, I think that that takes us to a word that I would, I don't know if I would call it the nugget or the kernel, either one. Um, as Kathy was talking about distilling, when you distill it down, you get this, you get the little nugget, you get the little kernel. So if you were panning for gold, you're shaking away all that excess until you find that, that little, little tiny nugget, that's the flash fiction story. Um, and all that the other is goes in your novel, <laughs> but not in your flash fiction story. Right. Um, I like the word lean as well. I used to um, talk about flash fiction as a longer story without all the fat. So um, a lean story that's really, again, everything being essential. I'm just really picking words that are um, saying the same thing over and over. And then um, the last word is really a phrase, um, but the throat, right? Going for the throat. And this is something I'm borrowing from uh, a woman who's going to be in a workshop with us in January. Um, who really described flash fiction um, in that ruthless way as going for the throat. Um, and I think that in order to have a really powerful story, you have to have really precise aim. I like it. My favorite word in those you selected is ruthless. I, I, I think that captures uh, many of your stories, both of you that I've read uh, quite well. And, and Kathy, uh, what do you have any other words that you would add to what Nancy's listed? I like her list and <laughs> I'm sort of in the same mode um, when it comes to five words to describe flash. I, brevity was the first word that I came up with, of course, and power, which I think comes from the whole idea of the, the nugget. It's not just a nugget. It's a powerful nugget. And uh, newness, I think that uh, one thing that for me, uh, encapsulates Flash is that it's so new. I mean, it's been written for a long time, but the explosion in its popularity, I think you want to bring newness to this form every time you write a Flash. And I just said things like movement and resonance, and that was it. I like it. I like it. Well, shifting gears a, a little bit here, um, Kathy, I'd like to start with you and we'll, we'll kind of give the floor to you first and then uh, we'll switch over to to Nancy. But um, I, I wonder if you wouldn't read for us one of your well-known flash pieces. It's called Spaceman. And if you would, if you'd just read it for us. And then I, I'd like to kind of go into workshop mode and maybe deconstruct it a little bit. All right. That sounds good. Spaceman. 
his girlfriend's probably surfing somewhere in California right now. She is an astrophysicist and a veteran and a triathlete, but she's never been up in space like he is now in a failing spacecraft. He knows it's failing by the way the, the engine sounds, like a tennis shoe in a dryer, and also by the way it's spiraling out of control. Alone and out loud, Spaceman employs the imperative, eject, eject, and girding himself for the unknown, he presses the button. Untethered, he waves to his ship as it cartwheels through space, as he himself cartwheels through space. He squinches his eyes shut. Jane would tell him not to be afraid that this is an infinite universe, and in an infinite universe, all things are mathematically possible, even certain. And so he imagines his pretty girl walking toward him on a boardwalk, or even on Pluto, or some star, a surfboard under her arm, saying, see, spaceman, see? Beautiful, Kathy. Um, I love the sound in that piece, the movement, and yeah, I, I, I feel the ruthlessness of the story. And that, that piece, I, I think you had told me once before, is only 160 words. Is that right? Right, right. Okay. Um, so how long was the first draft? Tell me how, tell me how you wrote this story and how you packed so much power and razor focus into 160 words. Well, okay. I'm, first of all, I'm going to make a confession that I'm not a writer who writes a really long thing and then cuts it. Um, I tend to write short already. So I didn't, I'm going to say, I'm sorry, but this is pretty much very, very close to what I wrote originally. Well, everyone listening hates you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just don't do that. I don't write long. I just open short. Um, so what the deal was with this story was that um, a bunch of us workshopped together back in the day. And one of our friends in that workshop was named Bob Arter. And he is a man who uh, was a Californian and he was a surfer. And he got in an accident and he became a quadriplegic. And then he just, uh, to all our shock, is he suddenly died. And so a bunch of us who knew him were devastated. And somebody came up with the idea to howl at the moon for Bob Arter. So what we all did was we wrote something for Bob. And on a given night at a given time, we all recorded ourselves reading something that we'd written in his honor. So the idea behind this, uh, well, I, I had to come up with the words for the workshop to use for that particular week. So I chose all the words that had to do with our friend Bob. And they were Spaceman, um, because he'd he was working on a novel called Spaceman. Veteran, he was a, a Vietnam vet. Surfboard, of course, California. And Pretty Girl, because he was a man who very much appreciated a, an attractive woman. So I took those five words and Karen, what I was trying to really convey in my piece for Bob was a sense of transcendence from death mm -hmm. and 
you know, he had been for so many years confined and, and unable to, you know, really move. And so what I wanted to do is I wanted to make him this spaceman. I wanted that to be him. And I wanted to just release him. And so I think that the, the main thrust of this is this idea of release and, and terror. And then this realization that, you know, there is transcendence, that there is, uh, everything is possible. And I wanted it to come from a wise woman. I wanted this, this sort of thing to come from his wise girlfriend. And so it kind of all came together into this weird little story. Um, but I, I think I conveyed what I wanted to in this piece. Yeah, it's beautiful. It definitely, uh, transcendence definitely comes through to me as, as a reader and hearer uh, uh, of the story when, when you read it out loud. Um, now, you, you said that you had a, a writing group and you guys took turns giving prompts. How is that one of the tools that you use in your workshops, your flash fiction workshops? I imagine that it is. Well, yes, but I approach that uh, rather differently. I don't give the group all the same group of, I, I don't say use these five words and write something, although that's very effective. Um, what I've found is um, if I can, I've given them a means of finding their own word bank to choose from. And so that the words that they come up are sort of organic to them. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of a, I don't know if you've heard like of mind mapping or word mapping. So I have them start with a central word and then branch out from that pre-associate and then pick the words that um, seem to have the most juice for them mm-hmm. and maybe come up with five to 10 words. And those, so it's unique. Everybody gets their own word bank. And then they write from that. And I've done that one almost from the very beginning. And without, almost without um, exception, it, it, it tends to result in stories that surprise the writer. Mm-hmm. Like they'll say, I can't believe I wrote that. You know, wow, I don't, that, I don't know where that came from. But they like it. But it's just like sort of opening them up to something inside them that they hadn't realized. So it's, yeah, it's word banks, but it's word bank that they create on their own. So how do you do that though? You, you give them one word and then they free associate until they come up with say five words that resonate for them. I have them choose um, a word from their own, like a previous story uh-huh. um, and, and choose, it can be an emotion word. I kind of like them to go with an emotion word but then the branching outwards can't be emotion words. They have to be tangible things. So say you're, the word you put in the center of the page is embarrassment. And then, and then I want them to write words that are from the senses. So embarrassment, what are some things that you see that associate with embarrassment? What are things that you uh, smell that you associate with embarrassment? And you know, touch and all, and all of those things. Uh, so that they're really going in uh, on, a, on a very concrete and um, sensory mode instead of coming up with a bunch of words that are abstractions like faith and hope and love and, you know, goodness or whatever. Um, that usually doesn't uh, 
result in very good writing. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. So I, 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 I told this to Nancy one time, everything I, I do with my workshops, I'm trying to get people to write things that I will like to read. Yeah. It's sort of, it's sort of like selfish, but, um, and that tends to work that this exercise tends to work and they tend to write things that go very deep into the senses, but have an emotional core to them at the same time. Nice. Yeah. It's interesting. I've, I've worked with prompts obviously, but I've never, uh, I've never done it that way. I've never organically come up with my own prompts. That sounds uh, that sounds really effective, and I bet the people in your workshops are are not just surprised with what they come up with, but probably pretty thrilled. Yes, I, they're often really thrilled. And I, the one thing behind my prompts is they're not typical prompts. I don't say two people are in a cafe and, you know, one doesn't like the other. I don't do things like that. I do more things that are um, working with them finding their own material, basically. I love it. I love it. Okay. So, uh, Nancy, let's switch over to you for a few minutes. And uh, you have a story that uh, appeared in your book, The Vixen Scream and Other Bible Stories called Death Row Hugger. And uh, if you would, I'd like you to read that for us. And then uh, I want to do a little deconstructing with that piece. Sure. Um, Death Row Hugger. For some reason, it's always at night. It's always the same room. The lights always jauntest. The room smells musty, like wet clothes were shoved and left to die in all the corners. I guess I was destined for this job. My parents weren't the hugging type, so I've always had a malnourished craving for arms around me. I started as a professional baby cuddler for preemies in the Nick ICU. Each night after visiting hours, I settled into a wooden chair, wooden rocking chair with these miniature babies and their ancient faces and whispered of a future when they'd be strong and full-sized. But nothing could prepare me for being a volunteer hugger on death row. You enter that holding room and there they are, trying to enjoy their lobsters or steaks or Cuban cigars or whatever. My job is to hug them just before they take the long walk. It's not a sexual hug, though I have felt a few erections and a few have tried to kiss me, but I politely turn my cheek and I squeeze them harder because there's this moment in the hug, you see, where it goes from something awkward and obligatory to when they melt in my arms, weeping with their bodies. Every now and then I hear one whisper in my ear and once one called me mama. So Nancy, uh, I know that you, you, it was this piece that you used uh, to deconstruct and kind of instruct on how to do flash at AWP a few years ago. Is that right? Yes. And, um, and obviously we uh, don't have a PowerPoint up, but just can you, can you share what you shared on that panel in terms of, uh, the origins of this piece, how you 
cut out the fat? Uh, how long was your first draft? How did you go about cutting out the fat? So um, this story actually came from a dream, which is the starting point for a lot of my stories. Um, I keep a notebook by the bed, and when I get a little wisp of something, I write that wisp down. And so this story, I had a wisp of the hugging, I had a wisp of the, um, that this person was condemned in some way, and that I was hugging them, and that it was very poignant, um, and that it was very dark, and that I sort of woke up and wrote that bit down. And then um, as soon as I fully awake, I try to just scratch out the story by hand. I, I write pretty much every story by hand at first. And so that's kind of my first editing process is I write everything by hand. Um, I can tell I'm a journaler, so I write every day in my notebook anyway, but I can always tell when I've hit a story in my notebook because my, my handwriting changes. And so when I'm writing a story and, I'm, and I've, I've got a fish on the end of the line, so to speak, my, my handwriting gets very crazy and loopy and I can almost hardly read it. And so that's how this started. Um, so I got it all out. And then when I wrote it up, um, you know, I trimmed a lot out, but like Kathy, it came out in one piece. It came out like a birth almost in one piece. Um, and so I was able to trim it, just kind of prune it. Um, but I didn't do a major revision that resulted in this version. Um, but I did, what I did at AWP, um, which may be jumping ahead here, is that I shared what will happen, what would have happened if I would have continued to cut and cut. And I don't know if that's what you were referring to on that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So let me, let me just share with you what I did at AWP because we were talking about um, workshopping and a lot of my workshopping has to do with editing. And so one of the first things that I do with students, um, who are coming to me for editing and in my editing workshops is I have them cut their stories in half and then they don't know it, but then I'm going to ask them to cut it in half again. <laughs> and so, um, it's this really, uh, it's this process where they have to really disengage with, with their ownership and attachment to the story. And so I felt like it was only fair for me to do it with one of my stories as well. Um, so I'm gonna read to you um, this story cut in half and then cut in half again. So the original story is about 238 words. So here it is down to 127 words. It's always at night. The light is always jauntist. The room smells musty like wet clothes were shoved and left to die in all the corners. I guess I was destined for this job. My parents weren't the hugging type, so I've always craved arms around me. But nothing could prepare me for being a volunteer hugger on death row. There they are, trying to enjoy their steaks or lobsters or Cuban cigars or whatever. And there's this moment in the hug, you see, where it goes from something awkward and obligatory to when they melt in my arms, weeping with their bodies, if not with their eyes. Every now and then I hear one of them whisper in my ear and once one called me mama. And now I'll take it down to 67 words. So cut in half again. It's always at night. The light is always jauntous. The room smells musty like wet clothes were shoved and left to die in all the corners. There they are 
trying to enjoy their steaks or lobsters or Cuban cigars. And there's this moment in the hug where it goes from something awkward and obligatory to when they melt in my arms weeping. Once one called me mama. Wow. I have, you know, holy shit. (laughs) Um, That's mind blowing. Um, Obviously I read the published version, the quote unquote long version, but I, but it's so dramatic to hear you cut it in half and then cut it in half again. And I don't know which version I like best, which one, which do you prefer? Yeah, it's really hard for me to say. And I have, I've actually considered publishing them all three together, like a house remix version of this story because Um, yeah, they're all very different. And I think that's what happens is that each cut, you have to make a choice on that focus. You have to get more ruthless. You have to decide, okay, well, I can't talk about the preemies and the Nick ICU anymore. I just have to focus on this. Oh, I can't talk about, you know, the erection or the, or anything. I just have to focus on this. So each time, you know, that the frame gets narrower. So, um, yeah, I don't have a favorite. I, I found it really cool too. And I remember being at that AWP thing and just getting chills when you did that. Yeah. What I find interesting is the things that you kept in all three versions. Mm-hmm. And, oh. and like this, but it was interesting what, what immediately went and then what went again, but then the things that stayed every time. Right. Last right. sentence, first yeah. three sentences mm-hmm. stayed the same. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, and and it's interesting too because I I got chills myself hearing you, uh, hearing you do that, Nancy. That's that's pretty amazing. And yeah, I uh, do you use that in your workshops? Yeah, I do. It's one of the first things I do with people because I feel like um, if I tell them to like condense, you know, that's that's not um, that, that there's too much leeway in that. So. <laughs> Um, I encourage people, whatever the word count is, cut it in half, you know, and then it starts to free people up a little bit because I tell them, you know, you don't have to keep this new halved version, but it will help you see when faced with a choice. I call it Sophie's choice sometimes, actually, (laughs) when faced with the choice, what stays and what goes. And then people will do this and then um, they're brave. I say, do it again, you know? And so I think what it does for people is it really helps them get clear on what's essential to the story. And then the final version may land anywhere along that spectrum, but, but they have kind of answered some behind the scenes questions for themselves. So I, I think it's useful whether they keep any of these exact versions or not. Yeah. Yeah. Really useful. Um, so I want to talk to you guys about your workshops in a little bit more detail. Now, do you do online workshops in addition to your 10 day workshops? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. But not together. Not so together. Our, yeah. Our online workshops are separate. Um, and then our retreats are together. So. Okay. And now you just did, I saw on Twitter, a bunch of beautiful photos from Breckenridge where you just did a retreat, right? Yes. Right. Yeah. And how, how did that go? I think it went really well. We went in uh, sort of preparing everybody who signed on for the fact that it was our maiden voyage and (laughs) never done it before and we might make some mistakes, uh, but bear with us. And I don't, I think we just got so lucky with the the particular group of people that signed up because uh, without exception, they were, you know, enthused and, um, 
friendly and, you know, open and, and just uh, really gung-ho to, to get a lot of writing done. And I think it went marvelously. Um, we, we did have them give us feedback so that we'd know, you know, the, the sort of logistical things and the small things um, that we could do better. But yeah, my sense was that it went really well. Me too. And I mean, the location was so beautiful. We had a big giant like mountain lodge with like little bedrooms everywhere. And they were all, you know, there's the John Wayne room and the gold panning room. And so we had this sort of like gold panning, gold rush uh, theme. And then we sort of did that with our workshops. We gave them kind of gold rush names as well to kind of have some cohesion. But um, yeah, I think probably one of the things that we, we were learning and are still learning is, is this balance between um, when people come to a beautiful place um, giving them enough time to relax they're on retreat you know and so if you want to sleep that's okay if you want to go for a walk that's okay mm -hmm. and and then offering kind of structured things so we're still kind of playing with the balance of of that yeah well it's funny you bring that up because i know that you guys your next workshop is in january in costa rica right yeah yeah so because uh, I'm actually afraid to go to a workshop in some exotic locale because I'm afraid that I won't be inspired to keep my butt in the chair and write. And what, how do you how do you deal with that? Well, you know, and this is we Nancy and I have had maybe 750 million uh, <laughs> discussions about this. Um, because we, we, we thought of the same thing. Um, basically, I think that there are certain kinds of place that are very, very inspiring mm -hmm. just by being there. Um, and then there's places where you're super distracted and they're still great. So we think about things like, well, we wouldn't want to have a retreat, you know, in the middle of London, you know, we, right. we need to have sort of incorporate some nature in there or incorporate some history in there, something maybe exotic or medieval or um, just, we want to find sort of unique spaces for these that, that do lend themselves towards uh, restfulness, but also that sort of inspiration. Uh, and so, we, you know, we spend a lot of time, we spend a lot of time looking at places in Costa Rica and we spend a lot of time looking at our, you know, our Europe trip as well. And um, yeah, I mean, it's like, what what sorts of places make people want to create? Mm -hmm. and, and we've been uh, talking a lot too about how do we, um, not just have a workshop in a pretty place, but tie the place to the to the creation. So right. when when we're going to Costa Rica, we're really thinking about well, what is Costa Rica to me? Well, I think wild. I think jungles. I think taking my shoes off and barefoot and and um, and so can we like have that as our focus? Like can we write wild? You know, and thinking mm -hmm. about when people are coming to Costa Rica, like let's let's dig into the more wild side of our writing so that the the two things aren't at odds with one another that's our intent mm -hmm. the breckenridge workshop it was 10 days or something right that's no 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 i thought it was 10 days long and i was gonna i was gonna uh say that's a lot no it was four days in okay okay that 
that sounds reasonable. That sounds yeah. reasonable. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I don't know where I got 10 days from. Um, but shifting gears uh, once again, because uh, we were going to start running out of time here, I wanted to ask you both what's coming up for you. Nancy, I know you have another book coming out, Madame Velvet's Cabaret of Oddities. I love that title. Tell us about that. So excited about this book. Um, so this has been like a long birthed book and um, it is uh, another collect, I would call it a threaded collection. Um, and my last book, The Vixen Scream, um, definitely was threaded. There was kind of a, a motif running through it, the fox motif. Um, this one is a lot more threaded. So there's about three or four different motifs running through. Um, but it, it's, it really centers around um, carnival, vaudeville, um, uh, kind of historic freak shows. Um, and like there's a, there's a whole motif with um, the narrator whose mother is a clown and then who the clown is like running off and joining a cult, you know, and all these things. And so um, it's very weird. Most of the stories <laughs> are very short. Um, I would put them in the micro category. So you're just sort of flipping pages as you read and they're all connecting. I mean, each story is, is its own story, but they're building towards a bigger story arc. Mm -hmm. um, and for me, I think like I really found my voice as a writer and a flash fiction writer when I really let go of realism. So um, when most I'm, I'm very concerned with with issues of humanity. So even in Death Row Hugger, you know, the for me, the, the most important part of that is just the humanity of this hug and the helplessness yeah. of that. Um, and so I'm really concerned with issues of humanity, but I just despise coming at them from a realistic point of view. I, I, I hate anybody to come up to me and ask, did that really happen? I, I write every story so that nobody can ask me, did that really happen? Yeah. Um, and yet uh, I'm really interested in human nature. So, so this book kind of pulls on a lot of realistic things for me. Uh, I spent years in my 20s. Um, traveling with the Renaissance Fair. I lived in a van and, and traveled with the carnival and was a like American gypsy. And um, I, I've never been able to write that head on. Um, so this was sort of a backdoor way in for me. So a lot of the things that just seem really crazy in this book um, come from something I wanted to talk about from my years of being a, a carnival gypsy. And, um, and then my mother actually was a clown when I was little, really? um, not, not anything at all like the clown in this book. But again, it was like, these are little truthful doors in, but then the book, uh, takes things into a really, um, uh, ab like a real surreal place. So, um, I, I get very surreal. So, well, I can't, I can't wait. I can't wait for it. Um, and Kathy, what's going on with you? What's coming down the line in terms of your writing and uh, and publishing? Well, I've also got another book coming out. Um, my second collection, Wildlife, uh, that publisher, Randall Brown, um, approached me and said, I want to do a new edition. The old edition had sold out and he wanted to run a new edition. And this was actually a couple of years ago. We've been kind of slowly working our way through this. And so what has happened with that collection is that, and I'm sure Nancy will feel this feels the same way, is that you become sort of a different writer. Mm -hmm. So that book came out in 2011, I think. 
And so then when I revisited it, I was, I really loved the book when I got, but when I revisited it, there was a lot that I wanted to pull away from it. And then I found myself pulling stories from my other collections, from uh, my chat book with Rose Metal Press and from uh, Together We Can Bury It. And then uh, my recent collection with Robert Vaughn. There were stories that I felt in those books that felt really like they fit in wildlife. Um, so over a huge course of time, I worked on sifting through all my work and adding new work to it and then trying to find a structure for the book. So it's, um, it's a book that's structured in three parts and uh, it's done. It's just, we're going through the process now of getting um, a cover design and I hope that it will um, release before AWP. That's Excellent. Excellent. Oh, yeah. That's ex that's exciting. Well, uh, our time is up, and I just want to thank you again for this mini workshop in writing flash fiction. And uh, I always enjoy talking to you, ladies. And it doesn't happen frequently enough. But thank you so much for joining me.